Hello everyone, I want to do this episode um, from my soul and I want to talk about these doubts. These these are the biggest doubts, so I'm just going to focus on this. This is written by Michael Runyon. Um, it says, Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar was a collaborative effort of approximately 200 professionally trained specialists in the field of religion tasked with the goal to cut through the myth and expose the historical Jesus. I'm breathing slowly because this is, this is my livelihood of my youth and to have that challenged is not completely rosy but if I want to live a life of inner peace I have to speak to the doubts that are researchable and readable and hearable and writable. <sighs> Membership was limited to scholars with advanced academic degrees, PhD or equivalent, and religious studies or related disciplines from accredited universities worldwide and to published authors who are recognized authorities in the field of religion by special invitation only. The task force convened on and off from 1985 to 2006. Whoo, man, just to just to know that most scholars don't have the traditional views on Jesus that has been expressed for years. I'm still getting adjusted to it. It's uncomfortable, but I'm uncomfortable being uncomfortable. Um, If this is not bravery nor courage, I don't know what are. The principal finding was that the quotes and deeds of Jesus as written in the Gospels are mostly mythical. Ouch. In fact, only 18% of the sayings and 16% of the deeds attributed to Jesus were thought to be authentic. Still doing my breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The scholars use cross-cultural anthropological studies to set the general background, narrowing in on the history and society of first century Palestine. 
and used textural analysis along with anthropological, historical, and archaeological evidence. Here's the part where it's about to sting for me. Other findings of the group included Jesus of Nazareth was born during the reign of Herod the Great. Mmm. 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 Still chewing on this meat. Some meat is is tough to swallow and digest. It's about to hurt more for me. His mother's name was Mary, and he had a hus- and he had a human father whose name may not have been Joseph. I, I feel like I just got punched in the face. Jesus was born in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. I just got a gut punch. Jesus wasn't an itinerant sage who shared meals with social outcasts. Now, now that's very comforting. I'm not going to lie. That is very soothing. Uh, Jesus practiced faith healing without the use of ancient medicine or magic, relieving afflictions we now consider psychosomatic. felt dizzy and, f- and fuzzy for a minute. Um, he did not walk on water, feed the multitude with loaves and fishes, change water into wine, or raise Lazarus from the dead. Felt like I just got a bloody nose. <sighs> um, Jesus was arrested in Jerusalem and crucified by the Romans. Okay. That's in line with scripture, so in terms of the basic understanding, so I'm like, okay, that that doesn't not it, it doesn't make me feel wobbly or like I'm about to fall. Um he was executed as a public nuisance, not for claiming to be the son of God. I just felt like I got knocked out just now. Whew. The empty tomb is a fiction. Jesus was not raised bodily from the dead. I felt like I've been shoved to the ground. Belief in the resurrection is based on the visionary experiences of Paul, Peter, and Mary Magdalene. Well, there are some biblical statements about that, but still felt like I got punched in the chest. The significance of this effort is that it is the first time that Jesus' life has been objectively analyzed by a team of highly qualified reviewers. As such, it remains the best effort to date to ascertain the true historical Jesus, stripped of the myths that have been attached to him over the centuries. Although many religious leaders objected to the findings, 
It must be acknowledged that the level of effort, the range of resources used, and the qualifications of the reviewers led lend much weight to their conclusions. Um, again, this is not comfortable. Um, I'm just picking out random, not random, just picking out facts that are the most relevant to I'm feeling. Um, Okay, this is about to sting some more. Failure to return. Biblical historians are quite clear on this matter. Early Christians, notably Jesus, Paul, the disciples, and other followers, are all convinced that the end of times is near, that an earthly kingdom presided over by Jesus would be established within the lifetime of some people who are then currently alive. The Bible claims that Jesus made the following comment, Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus also advised against going to court against someone who steals from you and also told people not to store up stocks or reserves for the future. Clearly thought then was very near. Well, nowadays, lawsuits are very common. So, even in books, if you copyright if you do copyright infringement, you get sued. If you don't give credit to where credit is due within your books about what somebody else wrote and said, you get sued. So, literary theft, people are quick to get paid legally from you based upon the damages. Emotional damages, smear campaigns, character assassinations, what happened? And um, I feel like going to court, criminal court and civil court is necessary because you need to make sure that the punitive outcomes are not too lenient nor too strict. And to store up stocks and reserves of the future, that's what we do today. I mean, during COVID, back in 2020, I do remember when toilet paper was all sold out. I do remember seeing soups, like Campbell's soups, on the bookshelf, like, not bookshelves, I'm sorry. I think even though some bookshelves were probably sold out because people were reading and studying as if there was not going to be a tomorrow because COVID was that bad. That's true. But look at the stock shelves of the stores. I remember Campbell's Soup was not there anymore. I remember the basic things that would be lying around on the stock shelves are just there. I'm talking about even I saw condoms being sold out. I saw female personal products being sold out. I saw contraceptives being sold out. 
I saw bandages and medications and medicine being sold out. Um, I saw like basic food groceries. It could be fruit, it could be vegetables, it could be proteins. Hell, even dessert. That was all sold out. So the things that would normally be there, you wouldn't think about, you would go, what the fuck? Wow, a lot of people are shitting because a lot of people are eating. A lot of people are pissing because a lot of people are drinking. A lot of people are hornier than ever. That's why they're fucking. And sucking. Notice I still like to put them together when I do episodes. Damn right I do. Because sex is not just about penetration. It's about non-penetration too. Ha ha. So, I'm pretty sure a lot of COVID babies were born back in 2020. (sighs) Likewise, Paul advised followers not to marry and that the end time was near. In this scripture, he obviously believes that some of the people he is talking to will still be alive at the second coming. Well, um, we're still here, so... I don't know why that was said. There has never, so far, there has not been um, any confirmations that Jesus is coming. And I'm uncomfortable saying all this stuff. Because this is how I grew up. But I have not seen any scientific confirmations nor scholarly verifications that Jesus is coming sooner than soon, soon and very soon. I like to put those together too. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We've had, you would think Jesus would come back during 19th century slavery. You would think Jesus would come back during the genocide of Native Americans and affecting Native Americans with germs and bacterial infections and pestilence even famine in some cases and impoverishing Native Americans while procreating with the Native Americans and and, and wrongly calling them Indians you would think Jesus would come back during the dark ages you would think Jesus would come back during the Inquisition. You would think Jesus would come back during the Crusades. You would think Jesus would come back during the persecutions of Jews and Muslims by those who claim to be Christians. At the same time, they're charlatans and and religious and pious terrorists and um, pious extremists and you know, their religious um, 
dictators and religious authoritarian totalitarians but that didn't happen you would think Jesus would come back um during segregation you would think Jesus would come back during the crack epidemic the heroin epidemic the powder cocaine epidemic um You would think Jesus would come back during America's imprisonment and castration of LGBTQI plus people. You would think Jesus would come back during Idi Amin's reign of terror in Uganda. You would think Jesus would come back during Hitler's heyday. You would think Jesus would come back during... Mussolini's monstrous era. You would think Jesus would come back during the fraud that Christopher Columbus was and is You would think Jesus would come back because of the flu of 1918 that was a pandemic. But he has not come back. You have Protestant and Catholic sex abuse scandals. He's still not here. Um, You have drug and alcohol abuse skyrocketing because thanks to COVID but he's still not here abortion rights in America and reproductive rights were overturned he's still not here immigration squabbles are happening but he's still not here. You have, there's child abuse and adult abuse skyrocketing thanks to COVID, and he's still not here. Um, Voting rights has not been fully legislated by the United States Congress, but Jesus is still not back. Um, you have, there's critical race theory battles and 1619 project fights between groups of people in the world, but Jesus is still not here. You have kids in schools gunned down because of mass shootings, but Jesus is still not here. There are transgender athletic competition bans and transgender sports bans and gender-affirming care um, blockage, but Jesus is still not here. There are people who spend too much time in jail 
for weed, for small amounts of weed, and that's not even worthy of imprisonment. And the people the most negatively impacted by are black and brown folks. But he still not have he still have not come back yet. He had people suffering from monkeypox and some people dying from it, but he's still not here. Hmm. The obvious fact is that the second coming was not forthcoming at that time, even close to being near. The nearly 2,000-year delay is a strong piece of evidence that Christianity is a failed religion. I, I have no pleasure in saying this because I gave my whole life to the faith that Christianity is. Lately, it's been a fake and lately has been a failed religion because there are people with autism, Asperger's, and people who are labeled with disabilities who are maligned and legislatively not taken care of. And there are people who are Christians who well, claim to be Christians. One thing to be a Christian is another, another thing to actually claim to be a Christian, you know. But they don't preach about people like me. They don't have ministries and programs for people like me. They don't have businesses that cater to people like me. And the worship services are not aligned, are misaligned with our sensory needs. And not all churches are wheelchair accessible and have all the support that people with disabilities need. And remember, the churches excluded themselves from the Americans with Disabilities Act. Let's keep going. The following quote from Stephen L. Harris, Professor Emeritus of Humanities and Religious Studies at California State University, Sacramento, completes this point with a devastating argument. And I'm about to be devastated. Remember that Jesus was a Jew who had no intention to deviate from the Hebrew scriptures. (sighs) Jesus did not accomplish what Israel's prophet said the Messiah was commissioned to do. I feel like shit right now. He did not deliver the covenant people from their Gentile enemies. Reassemble those scattered in the diaspora. Restore the Davidic kingdom or establish universal peace. According to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 67. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 7 and 12. No, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 67. Isaiah chapter 11, 7 through 12. No, no, I'm reading it wrong. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 11, 
verse 7, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 16, etc. Instead of freeing Jews from oppressors and thereby fulfilling God's ancient promises for land, nationhood, kingship, and blessing, Jesus died a quote-unquote shameful death, defeated by the very political powers that Messiah was prophesied to overcome. Indeed, the Hebrew prophets did not foresee that Israel's Savior would be executed as a common criminal by Gentiles, making Jesus' crucifixion a stumbling block to scripturally literate, to scripturally literate Jews. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. But most people in Jesus' day were illiterate because they could not read or write. From Jesus, that would have been one of the very first set of miracles I would have performed. That way, the Jew, the um, the self-righteous religious leaders wouldn't be able to con game you. So it says, the fact that Jesus was wrong about the end of the world is good news all of us alive today because otherwise we would not have been born. I felt like My heart is aching because my heart is breaking. Um, so, um, Okay, let me do at least one more. Um, Jesus purposely confuses outsiders so they won't be saved. The following scriptures from Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, the seeing that, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest any time they should be converted and their sin should be forgiven them. This is one of the surviving scriptures that revealed the real historical Jesus. The reason that it is considered a genuine quote, or at least a general idea of what Jesus preached, is that it is contrary to the finished product of Christian theology that all people can be saved. Some of what Jesus allegedly said after resurrecting the scriptures that are likely forgeries to go to all nations and preach the word directly contradicts what is being said here. What is revealed by the scriptures is that Jesus' ministry was targeted only to the Jews. That is why he preached only to the Jews and used language, idioms, and parables to confuse the non-Jews who might be overhearing his message. He had no intention to bring his message of salvation to the Gentiles who are revealed, in, who has revealed in other scriptures he clearly disdained. 
Therefore, Christianity is a forgery of Jesus' true mission. Ooh. Yeah, I could never understand purposely um, why confuse people when you can just clearly reveal what you want. It's one thing for people to clearly understand and not buy into it, but if you don't have to confuse people so they're conf- so according to Christianity, they're confused in hell. Mm. And I do feel like Christianity has become a forward to Jesus' true mission because so many pastors and preachers are afraid of losing money, choir members, congregation members, and family members when it comes to publicly advocating for physical abuse victims and sexual abuse victims. stop right there it's too it it hurts too much um and let me quickly um hmm Now, I'm going to go ahead and deal with this because I'm going to do the entire article a month from now. It says, The Shroud of Torn Scam and the Implications of Confirmation Bias. There are many historians and pseudoscientists who have assumed that the Shroud of Torn is the burial cloth of Jesus and are consistently searching for or creating evidence to support that conclusion. This is despite a definitive dating process that placed the edge of the age of the cloth between 1260 and 1390 CE, precisely during the time that it first appeared in history and concurrent with the time that thousands of fake holy relics, including over 40 other authentic shrouds of Jesus, were being made and sold. Like, I always had doubts about the shroud because when Roman Catholic the Roman Catholic Church gets a hold of anything all the other denominations do what they say because they're the Vatican they're God's most spiritually mature kingdom disciples on earth so the Pope is like the president of the Christian Church supposed to be Jesus not really, it's the Pope but if I want people to know there's irrefutable proof of how I die. I'm going to leave all the evidence behind. If I was God, there would be no such thing as atheism because everyone would know me. Therefore, you wouldn't need to believe in me. Then it says, Some shroud apologists claim that the analyzed segment was a patch that was made during the 14th century while entertaining the utterly unbelievable idea that the esteemed team of scientists who selected a portion of the cloth for examination could not identify the presence of a patch, 
either from the weave pattern or the stitches that would have been present on the back side. The Vatican, see what I mean? The Vatican gave the final approval for the selection and clearly hoping that the science would support the authenticity of the shroud. They would have been very concerned about picking a patched area that would have been returned, that would have returned a date inconsistent with Jesus' death. See what I mean? Every time the Vatican gets a hold of something, scientists and scholars will go, deception, untrue, falsehoods, make-believe, made up. And I'm just like, how come the Vatican can't make choices, the most profound choices that forever impact Christianity? And scientists and scholars can go, it all checks out. Checks all checks out well, pretty good. That's not happening. And I'm just thinking to myself, I wonder what, that's why they call it faith. Because there's no correct knowledge. So Jesus' blood has not been confirmed. The wounds that happened to Jesus have not been confirmed. What scripture said about what happened to him in terms of, you know, sword that pierced his side and blood and water came out. How come that sword has not been found? The nails to his hands and his feet. Even if he, let's say he was tied up or something or the cross that he was crucified. How come that those things have never been found? That's all spooky to me that everything has been said about this man but nothing about this man in terms of those extremely consequential things have not been located. No archaeological evidence for any of these things. Most of the patchwork was done after fire damaged the shroud in 1532. If I'm Jesus, you're not going to damage shit about anything that people will subscribe to me, especially the Vatican, centuries later. If, if one of those, if one of these patches was selected by mistake, the dating process would have identified the date in the 16th century instead of the 14th century. See, centuries have gone by, and even if those things about Jesus, you know, death could have been found, I mean, things waste away. Animals chew on things. Birds shit on things. And fires burn things. And Water drowns things, too. To counter this evidence, shroud apologists are now claiming that the patch was invisible on both sides of the clock, but they failed to explain why this highly skilled patching technique was not used two centuries later after the fire. Hmm. How can you be an apologist and not have verifiable answers? For what you say, but you switch up to support your illogical argument.
The apologists also dismiss or are ignorant of the fact that the Shroud does not comply with the Gospel Scriptures in certain ways, but most notably in its overall shape and construction. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs, John chapter 19, verse 40. So Peter reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen, John chapter 20, verse 3 and 7. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over, saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, Luke chapter 24, verse 12. Mmm. The Shroud of Torn is a single rectangular piece of cloth not made of strips of linen. <sighs> History and historicity have to make overall sense with each other. They cannot be juxtaposed to one another. So history and historicity cannot be erroneous nor contradictory to each other. Um, Whatever you're apologist for, you must be able to defend without... Gaslighting us all without spiritualizing the gaslighting, without religionizing the gaslighting, and without Christianizing the gaslighting either. The gospel reference to linen strips for the body and a separate cloth for the head is consistent with Jewish burial rites, R I T E S, of the first century. Thus, to believe that the shroud is the burial cloth of Jesus, also to concede that the gospel accounts are wrong. Wow. I've always wondered if that was the case, and according to scientists and scholars, it is. They went to school for this, so it's their job to be fully honest with us about their finding, about their findings. If something has been proven to not be true, it's okay to say this is not true. Um, the image of the cloth, that's the appearance of a photograph. But the shroud was actually wrapped around Jesus at the time he resurrected. The image would have been distorted by the way it would have been curved around his body. For example, his two ears would have been widely distorted in the horizontal direction. For the image to have been made as seen, the shroud would have had to have been stretched out flat above his body and then curved around to the backside. Obviously, the shroud would not have been in this orientation. I mean... The shaping and the trajectory of not just the physical body and shroud of torn does not add up with um, with intellectual intelligence. Um, I'm just disappointed in um, um, the church for not 
considering these things. I wish I was told these things when I was younger because talking to non-Christians would have been a lot smoother for me if I knew the truth. But those who were non-Christians were telling me things like this. And people said they were Christians, weren't talking to me at all about these things. Additionally, no examples of the shroud linen's complex hair and bone twill weave date from the first century. However, the weave was used in Europe in the Middle Ages coincidentally when the shroud first appeared. Nothing from Jesus' time. That makes me think, does the... It makes me think, maybe the Bible has fictional characters, characters that were said to have appeared. But... um, They have not appeared. If you don't believe me, I'm going to give you this verse. Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children are to be slaves. This is Hagar. So maybe the Bible has fictional characters. Maybe the Bible has fictional accounts. Um... Maybe the Bible has fictional, supernaturalistic accounts. And I don't take any joy in saying these things. But releasing these doubts to the world is something I need to do. Because I know I'm not the only one who has had these doubts for years. Sharing doubts helps other people to not feel inadequate about themselves. And I I choose not to feel inadequate about myself either. Um, Maybe the Bible is literary device of we add real characters to to fictional characters and make them interact to make it look like they're real. That's what I think about Galatians 4, chapter 24. Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. Sorry, I misspoke. Other problems exist with the figure on the shroud. His front is two inches taller than his back, and he exhibits elongated limbs, indicating that he would have been afflicted with gigantism if he had been an actual person. Also, pigments and paints widely used in Italy during the Middle Ages have been found on the shroud used to mimic dried blood. So basically, they're saying that the shroud is a historical forgery that's been turned into a Christian theater play 
stage. Mm. Uh, also, the figure on the shroud is six feet tall, while the average Jewish man of the first century is only five feet tall. It is highly unlikely that Jesus was a foot taller than the average man of his time. Um, what is occurring with the Shroud of Torn is also happening with other relics, supposed miracles, other matters that Christianity has promoted as fact. But consistently using confirmation bias to act of placing the conclusion before the research as the means of determining truth, this is why critical thinking skills are not promoted by religious leaders. Because the exercise of them inevitably leads to the evaporation of their claims. Wow. So brainwashing is what keeps their bills paid. And their bank accounts of enlargement. Wow. Then it says, In fact, the Shroud has no history prior to the mid-14th century, at which time, according to a later Bishop's report, the forger who made it was discovered, and he confessed to having cunningly painted the image, in quotations. Obvious problems with the image include hair that hangs as far that hangs as for a standing rather than recumbent figure. Quote unquote blood flows that are unrealistically picture like and suspiciously still red. <coughs> Sorry, all the <coughs> all of the deception <coughs> keeps making me sneeze. Let's read it again. Obvious problems with the image include hair that hangs as for a standing rather than recumbent figure. Quote, quote, blood flows that are unrealistically picture-like and suspiciously, and suspiciously still red and like real blood that blackens over time. And the unnatural L elongation of the figure resembling those in Gothic art. Quote, quote, blind microscope analysis shows significant traces of paint pigment on image areas, thus proving the pigment red ochre was a component of the image. The, the, the quote-unquote blood was actually tempera paint. In 1988, samples of the cloths were independently carbon dated at three laboratories around the world. Using accelerator mass spectrum, spectrum, spectrometry, the labs obtained dates in close agreement. The cloth, dated from about 1260 and 1390 in that time span, was given enhanced credibility by correct dates obtained from samples of ancient cloths of known date. As to the quote-unquote impossible image on the shroud likened to a photographic negative because its darks and lights are reverse skeptics have countered that the reverse was only partial and that similar quasi-negative images are automatically produced by an artistic rubbing technique. Somewhat analogous to a gravestone rubbing, the cloth is first wet molded to a base to a bass relief and when it is dry pigment is rubbed on with a dabber so as to darken the prominences and leave the recesses white i proposed this solution in 1978 
according to Joe Nickel. Wow. Infidels.org library. Wow. Um, how do I feel right now? Um, all this makes me feel sadness, sorrow, dejection, melancholy, depression, grief, despondency, uh, gloom, the blues, and I feel that I'm experiencing oppression from the traditionalists. This is the last one I'm going to use for sure. Um, Number 14, polytheism in the Trinity. Christianity was born from a strictly monotheistic religion. Judaism, a faith that itself evolved from... A polytheistic model, considering their God to be one of many, one of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before Yahweh, implying the existence of others to a doctrine claiming their God to be the only one in existence. The belief in a single God is considered by religious historians to be an important maturation in sectarian theology. A few decades after Jesus died, Christianity ran into a problem. The Apostle Paul, as well as the Gospel of John, made Jesus into a God himself and left congregants with the impression that there were two gods, the Father and the Son. Thus, Christianity was beginning to lose the mantle of being monotheistic and thereby risking the denigration of being compared to the polytheistic pagan religions. The solution to a problem often creates an even bigger problem in that it can be argued it just is just what happened. Straining to find and create scripture to support a, syn- a synthesis of the gods into a single entity, the idea of the Trinity was born. Because the scriptures clearly define Jesus and the Father as being separate beings, both in the image of human males, patriarchy defending, which does not fly well in our modern times, a glue was needed to fuse them into a single consciousness. Thus, the Holy Spirit was invented. If you ask 100 Christians to define the Holy Spirit, you'll get 100 answers because the scriptures provide no description. All Christians could do was to point to one scripture that hinted at this third divine being. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, with Jesus saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, and then of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It is likely that this scripture was a later edit. It was not part of the original text. Just like the Jesus story of the woman being caught in adultery. There is a further mention of the Holy Spirit in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. However, this provides little evidence that Jesus ever preached this theology. How could one third of God be left out of the Old Testament and be so thinly mentioned in the New Testament? So Christianity is struggling to regain the respect of being monotheistic actually become became more polytheistic going from two to three gods and then mystifyingly trying to say that they were all the same being. 
This didn't have to happen as there was no need for Christianity to make Jesus into a god. It was a fatal mistake to do so. And Christianity is paying for it today with a baffling and confounding idea that three gods are one. Wow. Um... How do I feel? This is what this is my way of concluding. Science and scholarship makes me feel safe, not in danger, out of danger, secure, in safety, in security, free from harm, free from danger, unharmed, safe and sound, protected, guarded, housed, screened from danger, unthreatened, unmolested, entrenched, impregnable, invulnerable, under the protection of saved from treachery, safeguarded, secured, defended, supported, sustained, preserved, maintained, upheld, vindicated, shielded, nourished, sheltered, fostered, cared for, cherished, watched, without being creepy, impervious to folly, patrolled, without being controlled, Looked after, supervised, tended, attended, kept in order, surveyed, regulated with one with my head above water, undercover, out of harm's way, on the safe side, on ice, with my skates, um, at anchor, in harbor, snug as a bug in a rug, under lock and key. Um, for years, traditionalism has made me feel that I am unsafe, that I am risky, and that somehow I'm dangerous. Um, But science and scholarship makes me feel that I'm not dangerous, that I'm sound, that I'm sound, I'm secure. I I love my safe, I, I, I love safety inspected living and that I'm harmless, I'm trustworthy, I'm dependable, I'm competent, I'm I'm reliable. I keep safe my integrity and I care for others and not just myself and I I it makes me feel like I can escort people to where they need to go in life and that I'm and to protect, to guard and to watch is what I'm good at. So science and scholarship makes me feel all of these feelings. And um, this is the last one, and I mean it this time. Number 13, evil spirits. In biblical times, it's widely understood that many of the maladies that people were suffering were caused by evil spirits. This included many forms of mental illness, other organic uh, diseases. Um, Over time, scientific discoveries revealed the actual cause of these problems and the concept of evil spirits was discarded. Fortunately for Christianity, the ancient misguided beliefs remain ensconced in their scriptures. Some examples, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak, and when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 34. When he ar- arrived... At the other side in the region of 
the gardenings, two de demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They are so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went to the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went to the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Luke chapter 4, verses 33-37. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon and an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God, be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are? What with authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. There are only a few examples of references to demons and evil spirits in the Gospels. It should be noted that if Jesus was God, he would have known that the diseases he was curing were not caused by evil spirits and would have informed his followers of the same. And I'll, I'll add the, the crowds and the multitudes of the crowds the same too. The fact that the Gospels aligned with the scientific ideas of the times indicates that they were written by men without inspiration from a God or any messianic figure. So how does all this makes me feel? Honestly, now this is the best way for me to end. It makes, all this makes me feel sad, afflicted with sorrow, unhappy, sorry, sorrowful, downcast, dismal, gloomy, glum, pet, <laughs> Pensive, heavy-hearted, dispirited, dejected, desolate, depressed, troubled, melancholy, morose, grieved, pessimistic, crushed, broken-hearted, heartbroken, heart-sick, despondent, careworn, disheartened, rueful, anguished, lamenting, mourning, grieving, weeping, bitter, woe-be-gone, doleful, spiritless, joyless, heavy, crestfallen, discouraged, moody, low-spirited, despairing, hopeless, Worried, downhearted, cast down in heavy spirits, morbid, oppressed, blighted, grief-stricken, foreboding, apprehensive, horrified, anxious, wretched, miserable, mournful, disconsolate, forlorn, jaundiced, out of sorts, distressed, afflicted, bereaved, repenting, harassed, dreary, down in the dumps, in bad humor, out of humor, cut up, in the depths, blue, stricken with grief, wearing a long face in tears, <coughs> feeling like hell down in the mouth. I'm not happy. I'm not joyous. I'm not cheerful. I am suggestive of my sorrow. I feel pitiable, unhappy, dejecting, saddening, disheartening, discouraging, joyless, dreary, dark, dismal, gloomy, moving, moving, touching, Mournful, disquieting, disturbing, somber, doleful, lugubrious. Tradition is just like being oppressive of me. I feel 
funereal. Funereal. I feel funereal. I feel pathetic, tragic, pitiful, piteous, woeful, rueful, sorry, unfortunate, hapless, heart-rending, dire, distressing, depressing, and grievous. To sadden me, to oppress me, to dishearten me, to discourage me, to cast me down, to deject me, to depress me, to break my heart. It's what traditionalists just love to do. So, there's more I have to share. I can't help myself. Borrowed miraculous elements. Most of the miracles discussed in the Gospels were common elements of pre-Christian pagan religions, including miraculous foretelling of a deity, virgin birth, a guiding star, a nativity visit by royalty, the baby god threatened by a jealous ruler, manifesting extraordinary wisdom in childhood, turning water into wine, walking on water, enabling the lame to walk, healing the sick, raising up dead persons, restoring sight to the blind, allaying storms on the sea, casting out devils, communion with a holy meal representing the God's body, being put to death, the sun becoming dark after the death, the sun becoming dark after the death, rising from the dead, talking to disciples after resurrecting, ascension into heaven, providing salvation for humankind. Wow. The truth is that very few of the miracles discussed in the Bible are unique to Christianity. This is a strong piece of evidence that Christianity is a man, man-made, cobbled, and fundamentally plagiarized faith. They would, wow. Christianity would not do well in a lot of institutions of higher learning because plagiarism charges are no joke. And federal prosecutors would be the type to investigate them the most. How does all this make me feel? It's appalling, horrifying, terrifying, shocking, dreadful, and frightful for me. Uh, It says, Jesus baptized by John the Baptist. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus presents himself to John the Baptist and is baptized. This presents several problems for Christianity. First, baptism is a ritual that claims to remove the stain of original sin. But according to Christian dogma, Jesus was sinless and therefore should not have required this right, R-I-T-E. Yeah, that's always been confusing for me. If you do nothing wrong, you don't need water to purify you because you're already purified everywhere you go all the time in each and every situation that you're in. Second, to present oneself for baptism is a subservient action implying that the person performing the baptism is of a higher station though. According to Christian theology, Jesus was certainly superior to John the Baptist. I mean, when they when you tell when you communicate to people in myriad of ways that you're perfect, I mean, human superiority is just going to happen that way. Third, third, the scripture states that John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the promised Savior, yet inexplicably, he does not become a follower of Jesus, but remain the leader of his own group of followers. I, I find that to be problematic, you know, if your cousin is God in human framework, then 
you should be an adherent to your cousin instead of, hey, yeah, you are the chosen one and all that, but I'm going to still have my underlings under me. Mm, mm, mm. This is an embarrassment to the faith because if this event has any historical validity, it is apparent that Jesus considered himself a sinful mortal man needing baptism was probably a disciple of John the Baptist. He likely followed him for a while and only became an independent religious leader after John's arrest and execution. And this assumes the unproven assumption that Jesus was a real person. I mean, how does it, I mean, this is all, I felt like I got picked up and thrown in the trash. That's how gloomy I feel right now. Um, um, what I personally feel is that I really gave my entire life to the traditional views of Christianity because that's all I had. When I was in organized crime streets, I had to be Tonio, the alter ego that organized crime figures crafted against my will. In the streets I had to be, when it came to uh, criminals that nobody liked, not even civilians, not even their loved ones, when it came to them, I had to be loud, I had to be aggressive, I had to be bossy, I had to be overbearing. Um, I had to be authoritative. I had to be harsh, I had to be severe, I had to be rude. I had to be, um, I had to be threatening and menacing. and I had to be domineering and I had to physically make them do what I wanted them to do, and I, and I had to make them obey my orders and obey me, so... I had to have a booming voice as well. And I don't take pleasure, nor joy, no, no euphoria, no excitement about any of these things. But I'm dealing with all of these um, doubts not to keep people from being a faith of religion and spirituality. And I don't do any religion episodes to keep people out of house of worship. I mean, one of the beautiful things about human rights is we express how we feel, but we let you think for yourself and decide what's right for you. And we don't dictate any of that because... You have the right to be true to yourself, and we want you to be true to yourself. Um, it, it appears that Jesus may have been a real person based upon what scholars and scientists have said. Most of them say that he was a historical person. However, they will not say all the supernatural based things that are said about him biblically speaking. I'm just going by what credible trained professionals from credible institutions of higher learning are saying. That's all I'm doing. 
Then it says, delayed documentation. The accounts of Jesus' life and the Gospels were written well after the events allegedly occurred. The crucifixion of Jesus is believed to have occurred around 29 AD. The best estimates state the Gospels follows. Mark AD 68, um, 73. Matthew AD 70 through 100. Luke AD 80 through 100. John AD 90 through 100. The time lag between the events and the documentation was long enough for exaggeration and myths to contaminate the historical accounts. Yeah, the, 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 the dates tend to not add up at all. Um, different dates, it can cause biblical scenery perplexity. Um, almost every person with direct contact with Jesus was dead by the time the Gospels were written. It will be similar if a person today wrote a biography of Martin Luther King Jr. just by talking to people who heard something about him from their now deceased ancestors. Um, again, I'm not disrespecting my grandma, my childhood self, who was extremely devoutly Christian in all the right ways. But this is a part of my healing process where I have to not lie about the doubts I have. I, I don't doubt for the sake of doubting. I doubt my way to the truth. I doubt my way to truths. I doubt my way to fact and facts. I doubt my way to evidence and evidences. I doubt my way to wisdom. I doubt my way to clarity. I doubt my way to discernment. I doubt my way to prudence. I doubt my way to being judicious. And I doubt my way to wholesome freedom. Um, so how did this all, all this makes me feel? In my soul, I'm definitely feeling awkwardness, ineptitude, inability, incompetence, ineptness, artlessness, crudeness, heavy-handedness, ungainliness, oafishness, gracelessness, and ungracefulness. That's how all you know. All these synonyms for the word awkwardness, awkwardness itself. That's just how I'm made to feel. Basically, I'm made to feel wretched, and I'm made to feel um, depletion. Um, as a child, I had I believed in my Jesus abilities, my Jesus grace, and my Jesus competence, which helped me to overcome organized crime. So, these doubts are hard, 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 hard to to contend with, and um, it's not easy at all. Um, I look forward to talking about my next episode where I finalize all my views on religion. Now that all the doubts have been out, um, I will now tell you how I feel about Jesus and how I grew up in the next episode when I talk about my healing adventure. So stay tuned. It's not over yet. I'm going to talk about my healthy sex life after rape and I'm going to talk about um, um, my healthy life 
after organized crime because all the stories have been dutifully told. 